Welcome to Study, Grow, Know, where we discuss theology, prophecy, and current political issues from a conservative biblical perspective. Here's your host, Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Hey, this is Dr. Fred. Thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Uh, As always, at the top of the transcript that's provided for this particular audio episode. There are a number of links for you to go through those if you choose to, and also um, do some more research. There are also a number of links included in the actual transcript of this audio, so you may want to avail yourself of that. Well, this one's entitled Victory in Two Easy Then Hard Steps, and I mean that literally. But before we get into that, let me just do a recap. Lately, the lies continue at breakneck pace, and it's a bit overwhelming to try to wade through it all, isn't it? Press Secretary Jen Psaki has recently insisted that Biden is doing everything he can to lower gas prices. Is that the truth? Not really. If Biden was doing everything possible, he would reinstate the Keystone Pipeline so that it would go back to producing up to 833,000 barrels of oil each day. Instead, we're buying oil from Russia, but we've recently stopped doing that, or at least Biden says we're going to stop doing that. And then he's begging Venezuela and now other countries like Iran to buy oil from them. Does it make sense to anyone? And I notice how the left is constantly pumping him up. Imagine if Trump were the president right now, the left would be doing what they normally do and uh, destroying him, tearing him down. What are some of the other lies that are being used to help usher in a one-world government where the globalists see themselves as rulers of the entire world? Well, it turns out that CV lies are still making the rounds. And isn't it interesting that CV is pretty much going away? Even New Zealand is now trying something new by allowing infected healthcare workers to treat infected patients. Along those lines, Dr. Fauci is nowhere to be found. Is he in the witness protection program or is he just hiding from arrest? Oh, wouldn't that be nice? You'll have to forgive my sarcasm. So beyond this, we all know how the high price of gasoline is affecting all of us. I'm sure it's affecting your wallets. While Biden condemns Putin, he continues, at least up until recently, buying uh, oil from Russia. But as I mentioned, he wants to now ban all Russian oil and gas imports. He says that's going to create a huge painful blow for Russia. But in reality, the people in America are going to suffer as well. And it will further worsen economic conditions in the USA. And it's not just going to be at the fuel pumps either. It's going to be at grocery stores and every other product that we buy any place because all those things have to be trucked in. So truckers are going to pay more for fuel. We're going to pay more for the product they haul. Why not just reopen the Keystone Pipeline? Why not allow the United States to get the oil that's under the ground in the United States? How is the carbon footprint going to be any different if we get it from the United States or if we get it from other countries? But instead, Biden continues his assault on America and has also gone to begging Venezuela and, as I mentioned, Iran as well. Logic is dead, folks. Nothing makes sense anymore because it has become all too obvious that the destruction of the United States seems to be on Biden's agenda. And that's unfortunate, but it is what it is. So gas is high and will go higher. Food prices are increasing as well. 
And this is all going to lead, unfortunately, to a far more dramatic shortage of food and supplies, I think. This could possibly happen with what I'm reading about droughts and famines occurring in various parts of the world, and then what with edible oil products experiencing price increases, this will certainly be passed on to us consumers. According to one other source, Hungary has also decided to stop all grain exports. So if you eat grain, better stock up. So if Hungary is ceasing all grain exports, obviously this is going to cause wheat and other grains to skyrocket. If you've invested in wheat or other grains, you may be in for a windfall, but that may not help feed you. I don't know if you recall, I saw pictures of what it looked like in the Great Depression in the late 20s, early 30s, where people literally had barrelfuls and wheelbarrowfuls of money and couldn't really use it that much. You might want to stock up on certain things, as I mentioned. All of this adds up to potential problems, according to the FAO Food Price Index, as consumers go to grocery stores and experience both price shock and shortage shock. It's really a new world. But in the midst of all this, Christians need to persevere. We don't really have the option of no longer trusting God, no longer living in a way that pleases him, and no longer bringing the message of hope to the lost. We have to fight on or we will die spiritually. This morning, I was again reminded of Proverbs 16.6, which states in very simple terms a two-pronged approach to life itself. Quote, By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. It's a King James Version. Now, the simplicity of the above statements that I just read, two statements here, by Solomon cannot be overstated. The first part is really a reference ultimately to our Lord's work of redemption on our behalf. Jesus' sinless life, painful death, and resurrection have made it possible for people to come to faith in him and thereby receive salvation, eternal life. The cross work of Jesus literally showcases his unlimited mercy toward all of us, fallen creatures, who do not at all deserve anything from him except his wrath. That's what we deserve, his wrath. But his mercy, his mercy provides for us the true forgiveness, not just setting aside but or covering as it was in the Old Testament, but forgiveness of all our sin and brings us close to God in relationship. Jesus, full of mercy and truth, because he is truth and there is no other, cleanses us from all our sin as we come to believe in what he accomplished for us, just as the one thief on the cross did hours before he died. The same type of death that affected Jesus's life, yet his death didn't mean anything like Christ's life and death. Mercy born of truth in the God Son. This is the first step in our spiritual renewal. Without this first step of faith, exercising faith in what Jesus has accomplished for us and on our behalf, there is no salvation for us, no renewal, no walking with God in fellowship. It is here that it must begin. That's where it starts. Now, once we have exercised faith in Jesus for the redemption of our lives and the Christian's expiation of all of our sin, then we move on to the other areas where the rubber meets the road. 
And what is that? Well, it's called the daily living of being a Christian. Too many Christians gain salvation and then continue to live their lives as though they need do nothing. And God blesses them and frees them to live in whatever way they wish to live. How many Christians have been told or taught that God wants to bring our dreams to fruition? Hogwash. He wants people who are dedicated to him and his purposes, period. The second part of Proverbs 16.6 tells us how to do that. And it is not easy in the least. That's the hard part. It requires a healthy fear of offending God. That's what it requires. And if you've read this blog for any length of time, you know I've talked about that before. A true reverential fear of offending the Lord keeps us motivated to live correctly, which involves the way we think, the way we act, and the way we talk. In essence, this fear of offending the Lord covers all the bases and provides the ability to do what we should be doing, thinking, and saying from within in a most natural way. I'd like to admit that I've not reached this point flawlessly yet, and it doesn't even seem like I'm there all that often. And there is good reason to believe that no Christian in this life will ever fully reach it. However, the obligation set upon us is to strive to get to that point. Let me provide an example from the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. In the book of Joshua, after Moses' death, Joshua had been appointed to lead the Israelites into the promised land and to literally take the land that God had promised to Abraham. Repeatedly, the Israelites were told not to fear, but to be courageous as God himself was going to lead them into that land and destroy their enemies before this. He did this incrementally over time. There were times of great victory because of it, and there were times of complete and utter failure, either because the people disobeyed God by doing what he did not permit, or they simply failed to believe he would do what he promised to do. And I think the application to the Christian life is clear. We are to trust our God to help us to fear offending him so that this healthy fear, respect, moves us to do, think, and say the things that are correct, that bring him glory. Will we always do that? Unfortunately, not until we get to the millennial kingdom or the afterlife, whichever comes first for us, which, which is the difference between how we will be now and how we will be then, or I should say how we are now, when our sin nature will be fully removed from within us. God himself will do that when he provides us with glorified bodies and mind, absent the ability to ever sin again. I'm really looking forward to that. But for now, we battle not only Satan, but our flesh. These two things create huge obstacles for us. But Solomon tells us the way around those things is to have a healthy fear of offending the Lord. And that's where it starts and ends. In essence, this fear needs to be developed. It doesn't simply happen. I suppose there are those Christians whom God gifts with this healthy, reverential fear of him so that they are most suited to the task he calls them to. But for most of us, it is a gradual process of learning more about that growing fear of offending the Lord. Consider a man who loves his wife immensely. He doesn't necessarily fear her, though, does he? If he truly loves her, 
He will avoid hurting her, though, won't he? Suppose this man encounters temptation at work or someplace else where he, when he's away from his wife. What is the one thing that will keep him from being unfaithful? Yes, it's love, obviously, but the other side of that is it is this fear of offending or hurting the wife that he loves. The fear of offending or hurting her, if strong enough, will keep him from harming the relationship by doing something with some other woman who is not his wife. Do we neglect God by giving into the temptations of our flesh, which make us feel good maybe for a few moments, but remove us from the fellowship that we have with God. We need to be willing to seriously consider what we do, what we say, what we think, always reminding ourselves about our fear of offending the Lord. I tend, unfortunately, to give in to my emotions sometimes, maybe too often, and then to have to backtrack with apologies later. And while obviously apologizing is good, it's better not to do or say something that causes me to have to apologize in the first place. So Christian, in this day and age, especially when Satan appears to have been given the go-ahead to bring this world to its final format, final, final global kingdom, bring in the judgments of God, we must learn what it means to have a growing fear of offending the Lord. I truly believe, because this particular subject is broached so often in his word, that this is one of the most important guiding principles for Christians to do what God expects expects us to do. What does he expect us to do? I think we know what he expects us to do. And if you're not familiar with his word at all, then maybe you don't know. That's where you need to start. If you have a better way than what I've explained in this, please let me know. I'd love to hear it. And to be clear, I am not talking about an unhealthy fear of God that makes a person feel as though he or she is, you know, going to be at the receiving end of God's anger when we do something wrong. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about a true, healthy, reverential fear or great respect so that our inner desire is not based on a fear of judgment, but it is based on what we do, what we say, and what we think out of a growing love for or fear of offending God. Take the time to memorize Proverbs 16, 6. It doesn't take long. Repeat it to yourself often throughout the day. Say it as a prayer. See if God doesn't reward you with a greater and growing fear of offending him so that living the way he actually wants us and expects us to live becomes far more natural and easier because the proper motivation within us has taken root and grows. Well, thank you for joining me and I do appreciate it. And I pray until we meet again that God would open your eyes to show you how blessed you are in him. You've been listening to Study, Grow, Know with Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Please join us each week for new broadcasts that deal with theology, prophecy, and political issues from a biblical, conservative perspective.